Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found the probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Over the Ball. Uh, Kevin Flynn here, a very special edition of Over the Ball. Today, we're going to talk to – I'm going to talk to True Media's Paul Carr. Paul's a, a frequent guest here on the podcast he always has this information. He, he crunches the numbers. He does his work. He does his due diligence. I wanted to talk to him about the World Cup stadiums being awarded in the cities here in the United States, um, what the thinking was into going into each one. So uh, so we're going to have Paul Carr on. And as I said, he's a, he's a frequent guest here on the show. And this has been a uh, – it's a crazy time for Over the Ball because uh, Chris Shamides has been traveling – uh, I have been traveling. I've been, uh, t- you know, I've been in Key West, Jamaica, Boston, New York, uh, Nantucket, back, back, you know, all of Martha's Vineyard, all these places um, working. And Chris is on the road uh, recruiting for LMU, which I- anybody who knows anything about college recruiting, if you've been recruited, you see what an intense situation it is. But you can imagine uh, how difficult it is for a coach. Uh, you know, I see my longtime buddy, Mark Noonan uh, at Clemson. He was at Brown before that, UNH before that. I have watched this man put up more frequent flyer miles than uh, than anybody should uh, could could care to imagine. So it is a tough, tough grind to to be out there recruiting. You're going to different uh, cities and towns and getting in a rental car and driving and seeing games and you're outside and then and you know it's always so funny. I've talked to Chris about this before, where you're there to watch one player and all of a sudden you see another player. Well, guess what? You got to go travel and see that person, and then then you get the heads up from a coach, you know, who says, "Look, this guy's a you know a D three player. You know, I'm recruiting him, but I'm D three. He's a D one player. Go check him out." Um, so Chris is, is on the road there and. And knowing Chris with his success record, um, you know, in the past, he's going to build up that program uh, to bring it to, to great things. But as far as Chris traveling and me traveling, the team at Octane Media, our production team, is going absolutely crazy. So we decided that once we got Paul Carr, uh, we're just going to do this uh, this uh, one little special, this one-off to uh, get us caught up on everything that's going on. We talk about not only the stadiums, where, why, how, and and when uh why they got named but also we talk a little bit about Qatar and or Qatar I'm not sure how you pronounce that it seems like it's kind of a 50-50 mix on how to pronounce it but uh we're going to be watching soccer in November everybody on Fox so uh Paul who's now doing some work for Fox as well as CBS and for True Media uh will be talking to us all right so I hope you guys enjoy this special edition of Over the Ball the US Soccer Stadium edition we'll call it how about that Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. We're here today uh, with uh, our good friend, uh, Paul Carr from True Media. Paul, uh, welcome to OTB. It's you and I, brother. You ready to do it? All right, just like the old days. Let's go. This is the old days, exactly. That I was—that's what I was going to say. So, a um, lot going on. I mean, I was watching the, those committee hearings today. That was interesting. Uh, I was out here on Nantucket for the film festival. Um, that was the—that was pretty cool. So, I got to tell a story about when I met Bill Clinton many, 
many years ago. And I can't, well, I can tell the story sometime, but, uh, but anyway, where are you at, man? You in the Midwest in God's country? I am. I'm in Topeka. I'm an hour from Kansas City, where there's a whole lot of happy soccer fans after absolutely uh, Kansas City's yeah, yeah. host World Cup games. Yeah, so talk about that a little bit, you know, because I love that stadium. Uh, I love the the infrastructure that's been built around it, uh, the kids programs, all that that stuff. But I think one of the last times I saw that stadium was when Stanford won um, the national championship against uh, my buddy Mike Noonan's Clemson Tigers. And there was nobody in the stands. And I said, why isn't a Final Four game absolutely sold out with young people, college people? And I guess maybe because it was freezing. Out. Yeah, nobody wants but, to come to Kansas City in the first week of December or second week of December, whenever the, the title game is. Yeah, yeah, right. So let me ask you about that, because it's unrelated to the World Cup stuff, because I want to talk to you about that, about the stadiums being named and Kansas City being one of them. But they're talking about that split season. Uh, do you have any thoughts or, or um, insight into that, you know, with a college split season? We've talked to Sasha Sorovsky a few times and, and Noonan, and, but they're trying to make it happen uh, with the NCAA. you have any thoughts on it? I mean, it just, it, I, I definitely see the challenge. I see the upside. You know, you want kids to play more. You want, mm-hmm. you know, more play is better equals better, basically, from a developing player standpoint, from a team building standpoint. It would just be weird, for lack of a better word. You know, there's going to be some odd logistic things. Uh, you know, you're taking months off in the middle of a season. I can't think of any other sport that does that regularly at you know much of any level, except for you know soccer. Obviously, takes like winter breaks or something. That's like a month, right? Um, I think some of maybe some of the other European leagues may take um, some extended breaks in the middle of something. But at the collegiate level, it would just be so strange. I mean, I like the concepts, or I guess I like the principles of it. There are good things that coaches want out of this, that players want out of this. Mm-hmm. It would just be really weird just because yeah. it, and yeah, just, just really weird. That's I, the only I, thing I, I agree with that. Of. I mean, I agree it would be weird and it's not basically how American sports were sort of structured collegiately. Right. Um, but you know, we're talking about the premier league. How many weeks does a premier league player have off? Yeah. Like two. It seems yeah, like. exactly. Especially. Like they don't even seem like they're off. They're already talking about preseason stuff now. Right. Um, so I think, you know, my soccer college soccer career is like you're off way more than you're on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's like a it's less than a three month season, basically. You know, you're starting basically first September and you're done by Thanksgiving. Right. Uh, exactly. So, and so most that, people we were so bad. We lost well before Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. But, you know, you're right. You know, when the weather starts to get so, bad. Yeah, it I mean, the idea of expanding the season just from a time standpoint is good. Um, I don't know all the challenges. I coaches know much better than I do the intricacies of it, but it would just yeah. be a weird thing to split it up that much. You've, you're into two semesters, which you know that can make things weird with eligibility uh, or transfers and things like that. So, but you know, if coaches and players really want to figure this out, and they can talk things. Oh, I think they do. I think sure. My, I mean, I think as a player development, you can you need to play soccer eleven months a year. That's the yeah. difference with this game. As opposed to like football, you know, we play one game a week, you know, college, I'm playing three. Right. So, um, all right. So uh, I was excited to see that Kansas City made it because I knew that you were pulling for it. Mm-hmm. Talk about the math. Uh, we talked about it a little bit before you got on. Uh, you think maybe KC snuck in with the last spotter or something? Yeah, I think the consensus kind of was in, right in the immediate buildup is that there were basically 12 U.S. cities that were real candidates for probably 11 spots. I mean, 10 was the number that was out there. For a long right. time, but then Edmonton uh, seemed like Edmonton was out, which opened up another potential spot for a U.S. city at 11. So it seemed like 12 spots or 12 cities for 11 spots. And Casey was in that, I think, last group of three or four going for, you know, like four teams or four cities for three spots. Uh, 
you never really know because you just right. don't know exactly. You know, maybe FIFA absolutely had to have another central time zone city, in which case it was pretty much Kansas City to go with Dallas and Houston. Uh, and if that's the case, like Kansas City was pretty safe. But just kind of going through the common list of of big cities and important soccer cities and stadiums and things like that, Kansas City would you know they're standing in that nine to twelve range. And obviously it worked out in Kansas City's favor, and I'm very happy about it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you mentioned Edmonton pulling out, and I think they had the same concerns that perhaps Chicago had, because Chicago is a great soccer city as well, and that's surprising. Uh, Was it the same reasoning? Edmonton, I mean, Edmonton was in it for a while, so I think that was more of a FIFA didn't want to play in Edmonton. You know, they wanted Vancouver. Uh, You know, Montreal didn't bid for similar reasons Chicago. They didn't want to take on the risk that FIFA um, mandates, which... You know, I don't know the finances well enough. I, I believe that FIFA would try to, you know, kind of force the risk on the city. That sounds like a very FIFA thing. Oh, like the Olympics, like the Olympics thing. Right. Yeah, nobody makes money. It's, it's right. unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I think my, perhaps the, the most notable thing to me about Kansas City getting it is just, so if you look at the 11 U.S. cities or metro areas that got to host, 10 of those 11 are in the top 15 metro areas in the country. So these are kind of your, you know, this is obviously New York, LA, Dallas, Houston, Miami, Philly, Atlanta. These are all top 10 and 10 of the top 15 overall. Kansas City's metro area is number 31 in the U.S. And, you know, there's over 2 million people in the metro area and a lot more within a couple more hours of a drive. But just relatively speaking, the pure volume of people isn't there compared to some of those others. And that, to me, that speaks to the passion of soccer, how far right. the city has come in 10 years, basically since Sporting Casey's rebrand, you know, they've hosted qualifiers, they've hosted MLS all-star games, MLS cups, uh, gold cups, all these things, uh, all that. And they have great facilities, training facilities that I'm sure two or three teams will probably be based here uh, during the world cup, whether they play here or not. So it just says a ton about how far Kansas city and there's other cities you could, you know, say similar things about, but they've come so far in 10 years and now they're going to host World Cup games, which is amazing. That's good to see. It's a soccer city. You know, I think, cause I think the games sell out wherever they are mm-hmm. uh, because people drive. I mean, I remember being blown away by watching the national team back in the nineties play like Peru in orange County. And it's, it's sold out, you know, yeah. it's, it's packed. It's like people come out from everywhere, wherever the games are. But I like that they thought about supporting people who support soccer and areas that support mm-hmm. soccer to make it part of the whole, the whole uh, the whole package i think just a lot of concerns with a lot of the cities are just yeah that they're going to lose money like they have classically i mean you look at the brazilian world cup some of those stadiums yeah. the one in manaus is just they say it's just overgrown with with uh you know vines and stuff it's just right. very sad talking to a brazilian I mean, this is the nice thing about having it in the u.s like you compare it to qatar coming up this year where they had to build most of the stadiums from scratch uh u.s has to build no stadiums uh, some, some, right. several of them have to be modified. You know, the field's got to be a little wider than an NFL field and such, but all the stadiums are here. All the stadiums are going to be used regularly after the world cup. Uh, also, it makes me wonder about the future of the world cup, just in the sense that look, there are 80 games. So you have to have probably at least 15 stadiums. And you look at some of the best soccer countries in the world, Germany, England, Brazil, they have half a dozen stadiums maybe that hold 60,000 plus people. I mean, every NFL stadium holds over 60,000. There's another like 45. What are you, what are you hinting at? What are you moving towards, man? I think if a permanent home of the world cup, wouldn't that be awesome? That would be the extreme way, but honestly, just kind of wondering how, how's the country going to bid for the world cup? I'm here like Argentina, Uruguay are probably going to combine for a uh, 2030 bid on the hundredth anniversary, which, which makes some sense. sense, It's going to have to be these combined 
two or three countries just to satisfy FIFA's need for fans, which basically equals money. So yeah, right. it's, I mean, I feel like there's only three or four almost places that you kind of rotate yeah, through. Uh, so yeah, I'm not advocating for a permanent host, but uh, just I am. doing the math of it all. Yeah, sure. It'd be great. I'm, yeah. yeah, I guess maybe I am, but just doing the math, like where are you going to play 80 games in you know, 30, yeah. 32 days uh, in that many stadiums that have the infrastructure? It's, it's just going to be a weird puzzle. FIFA's going to have to figure out over the coming years. Well, that's your thing, man. You have the math and you crunch the numbers. You say, follow the money. It makes a lot of sense because there's been a real bad taste in people's mouths about the, the Olympics and how much money everybody loses and a little bit of the World Cup as well. I think people are just so happy to have the World Cup in some of these countries. They don't care. Right. They'll just you know pay a higher tax rate or something. Yeah, and but I think you, you're probably right. Um, and I think, you know, back in 94, when you were born, I think, Paul, <laughs> you know, watch watching the Cup, I think it was a pleasant surprise to the world, mm-hmm. especially numbers wise about the attendance. They're like, well, yeah. nobody's going to go to soccer in America, um, which was, we knew was bullshit, but the numbers were good in 94. Right. And you think they're going to be even better now? Yeah. One of my favorite you know, stats numbers is that the 94 world cup is still the highest attended world cup at 3.6 million people, even though that world cup had 52 games total. And in every World Cup, all six World Cups since, since then have had 64 games. So they each had 12 more games and fewer total fans, which speaks to two things. One that we wow. both touched on. One is just the pure volume of people that the stadiums can hold. And the second is, you know, it's easy to get here. People will travel here. And, you know, it's, it's relatively easy to get, you know, it's easier to get to than Qatar or Russia. That's for sure. Right. People will come to watch their team play. So both those things will happen again in four years. And it's going to demolish the attendance record for both volume reasons and maybe even on an average uh, per game basis, where it was around 69,000 in 94. Yeah. And, and more games. So uh, this is good. So let's talk about Qatar a little bit. Um, what are we looking at there? Because we've heard nothing but bad news to tell yeah. you the truth. You know, you, uh, you're not supposed to be gay to go over there. You're not supposed to drink to go over there. Um, the deaths that have been as far as the building of the stadiums, there's a lot of, I, I mean, look, I guess Seth Blatter loses his job because of it, because of, know, it's, yeah. you know, it gets awarded there. But, um, I wonder it's, first of all, you're talking about how weird it's going to be to change collegiate soccer. Uh, it's going to be weird to watch oh, the World Cup in I November. It. It's just going to be it's bizarre. And from an American standpoint, it's in the middle of everything. It's the middle of NFL season. College football season is coming to an end. Uh, NBA is getting going. College basketball is getting going. Hockey is getting going. Uh, it's just the worst. You know, on a whatever, just pick your Sunday in November, December. It's going to be like whatever, week 12-ish of the NFL season. So, you know, NFL season is coming down the stretch. On the Saturday, there's going to be uh, conference title games. You know, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, there's always a lot of big football, college football games. NBA season's getting going. It's it's just going to be very weird from an attention standpoint and, yeah. and all that. That and it really just throws off our clocks, like our sports yeah, circadian right. rhythms. Like Rhythm. we should be, you know, finishing up the group stage right now and getting ready for the knockouts to begin. And that's not really what's happening. You um, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, I think what how is Fox going to handle this though? I mean, you know, do they have the well, they have the bandwidth, I guess, but where do they yeah. show some of the games? They're going to have football games on when there's soccer yeah, not, games on. It's not too bad. And like for full disclosure, you know, I'm doing work for Fox for the World Cup, but I'm not uh-huh. involved in like programming decisions. But, you know, it's pretty much it's the only time you have simultaneous games are those last few days of the group stage. But I think 
I think they announced it. And I don't remember the that, but between Fox, FS1, FS2 even. Right. Not too bad. I mean, not everyone has FS2, but I think they said they're going to stream those games uh, in different ways. So it shouldn't be too bad, but it, it'll just be, you know, maybe a pretty sizable game on a Sunday is on FS1 when it really ought to be on Big Fox. Uh, I'm glad, I'm glad you... Which I understand. Yeah. Uh, but those It's just going to be a little bit weird, you know, maybe finding the games, figuring out which station the game's on, et cetera. I'm glad you're on Fox. I had read part of that in the Soccer America interview that you had done. Um, I think they do a good job, you know, because I'm always a proponent of having an American feel to the American game. And here, a lot of your background is about stats and American sports. And then you follow soccer so closely. I'm like, you seemed like a natural getting there. Is that a position that they, they came to you for or that you, you actively tried to seek? Uh, it's a little bit of both. And it's, yeah. you know, it's a behind the scenes research role. And the Fox media world, I'm sorry, the soccer media world is mm-hmm. so small. I mean, you know, you see it yeah. just looking in front of the camera, you know, Alexi, Lawless used to be at ESPN. Rob Stone was at ESPN. Stu Holden's done work for ESPN. JP Delacamera used to be at ESPN. Right. So, I've, so I've worked with all these people in different capacities. And it's, it's yeah. very similar behind the scenes where so many behind the scenes people have that I've worked with in at different networks and such. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both. It's, hey, you know, we do this. You know, our company produces game notes and things like that. You need game oh. notes, uh, you know, Pure media. Yeah, it was just kind of, yeah, yeah. pure media. It was just a good, yeah. it was a good fit. Good so fit. We, do, yeah. you know, we do MLS, we do US notes for them already. So doing the World Cup just makes sense. We've done it for the women uh, in 2019 and we're ready to go again. You know, yeah, I'm happy. I think it's a, it's a great, uh, great mix. But, you know, then again, I'm the only guy who puts you on air. <laughs> well, <laughs> not that anybody good. hears it, but right. No, that's there okay. are seven people. Yeah. I will say one thing, talking to some of the Fox guys recently, that will be nice about having the world cup in Qatar is everything is close. Like there's no travel, you know, you can stay in one hotel really? for a month because everything's, I don't think it's more than an hour, maybe two hours at most away. Whereas, wow. you know, in Russia or Brazil or South Africa, you know, you're flying all over the country. You know, those countries, those yeah. are large countries. It's almost like going across the U S sometimes. So you're doing one game here and you can't do another game for a couple of days. Cause you got to get from whatever to Sao Paulo or, or whatever it is. So that will be just purely from a comfort standpoint, for the production and the people and the announcers involved, that'll be pretty nice is they can stay in one place. And I think for some of the teams, it's the same thing. You know, they can stay in one hotel the whole time. They're not going to have to, you know, uproot their base camp, go to wherever to play a game for three days, come back for two days, go to the next place, stuff like that. They, they ought to be able to stay uh, in one spot a little bit more. So that, that'll be the one nice thing about having a world cup in a country, the size of Connecticut. In, in kind of, well, that, you know, yeah, we're going to be in a little fishbowl there. Right. Yeah, and um, I think people are looking forward to it. I, when I was in Key West, I mentioned it in the opening, but I saw I saw Bob Lee, and he was telling me stories. You know, you worked with him as well. Love Bob. Yeah, Bob's great, and about stories. You know, South Africa and then uh, Brazil. You know, just how how wild it was. But you know, some distances that you're traveling. Yeah, I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. So, what else you got going? Have you been following the LAFC um, stuff with Cellini and and Bale? Did yeah, that surprise you? That, <laughs> I always say uh, Christian Bale. I always screw up. Oh, yeah. That, he'll get that a lot out there. Uh, yeah. I think I have a couple of thoughts. One is it just speaks to the, I think, to the power of a World Cup. Like, this is how important it is. I mean, Gareth Bale is going to be on Wales team no matter what. So it's not right. a make the team standpoint. For him, it's more of a, it's a stay fit and have to play standpoint. He couldn't risk staying with Real Madrid or going to another giant club where maybe he's not playing regularly. He had to be at a place where he played regularly just for fitness, form, et cetera. And I think we see that. I mean, look, Zach Steffen is may get loaned to Middlesbrough. Um, and I would 
suspect that's part of the reason he's pushing for something like that. Yeah, he, just, he needs yeah. to play. This yeah. goes for all. I mean, every U.S. player needs to play at some point, uh, or some to some extent. You know, Matt Turner we hope gets minutes somewhere, whether it's Arsenal or elsewhere. Uh, Steph in the same way. Horvath, whoever you know, your keepers I think are especially important. Uh, we hope Pulisic plays, whether it's Chelsea or elsewhere. So I think so. I think the bail move speaks to that: the importance of playing. And I forgot my second point. Well, I think Bale, his resistance or resilience has been pretty amazing. He just sat on the bench and like, I'll collect the money and I won't play. Yeah, he I, was su- I was surprised he didn't play a Tottenham very much. Right. Like maybe a coaching thing there or an attitude thing. I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, I haven't heard much about his attitude other than he's like sort of aloof uh, right. to it all. Right. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have a bad attitude per se. Right. Uh, right. Not exactly. that he's you know, the world's biggest cheerleader or something like that, which mm-hmm. fine. You don't have to be. I think my other point was, <laughs> it does strike me as funny that he's coming to the U S to play when Wales first opponent is the U S. So I think we should start a pool on, you know, what MLS uh, journeyman is going to take well, wait over the ball in yeah. like October or something, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I no, joke. We don't, we yeah, don't want that. That's a joke. Everybody. No, I think. Can we get Those are the old... Beckerman? Can we get yeah, Beckerman God. back? Oh, Peck Becker was steady Eddie though. He was a hard man too, though. Yeah. I liked uh, I liked Kyle, but I, that's that's an interesting point. And you mentioned the three goalkeepers that I think will be on the U.S. men's national team. Uh, all of them do have to play. I don't. I think Zach Steffen is not the first keeper. Uh, I, I know that um, you know the the coach thinks he kind of hints that he right. is, but Turner you know Turner had the hot hand, but he got hurt. Um, right. So I think the fact that whoever's playing. And uh, Horvath has played well when he's come yeah. in. He really has been pretty calm. But look, you know, in, in other sports, in a goaltender in hockey, you see it. It's the hot hand is the keeper, man. And mm-hmm. whoever's, you know, whoever's in the streak, you know, throw him in there. What's what's your thoughts on, on who's got the hot hand or who? Yeah, what, I think there? if they play, if they had a World Cup game today. Yeah, I think it would be Turner just because Stefan has played so little uh, over the past few months for anybody and hasn't yeah. been all that convincing when he has played. But the World Cup doesn't start today. It starts in November. And if Stefan goes to Middlesbrough or wherever and plays every day and Turner is at Arsenal and plays three times in the next four months, I mean, it's hard for me to justify again. I'm I'm no keeper's expert, but just having talked to some, you know, there's just a rhythm and a familiarity and routine. You got to be playing, man. Yeah, of just being there, of watching the game, of reading the game, of knowing where and reacting to things. That's tough to replicate in practice, even at the highest levels of practice. Like man, I, say, I swear it's like stand-up comedy. You got to go up a lot, or else you you miss your groove, and then you go back on stage and you feel like a first timer. So yeah. it's no, uh, I mean it's the same thing. Like what I do with research, like if you're not doing something, you could just almost forget how to look up notes or you know find the right. stats or whatever it is, just because you haven't done it. So yeah, it, like well, almost yeah. anything, you just got to stay sharp. Your problem, Paul, must be like the sort of thing where if you take some time off you're suddenly having to absorb so much information at one time instead of peer, you know, daily getting mm-hmm. stuff. It's like, it's like me miss, you know, skipping geometry for two weeks <laughs> and then trying to figure it out in a day. Right. Um, you know, all, all that stuff. But I think um, Turner has got a Stefan problem now, because if he's at Arsenal and he's not playing, you, yep. you, you know, that's out of the pan into the fire. Stefan going to Middlesbrough, you're going to get games. You're going to get some real, some real time there. Didn't Casey Keller play there for a while? Was it Middlesbrough? I know Harksy played there, I think. I think so. Oh, I'm not 100% sure. Car. That rarely happens. That I, rarely I happens. I love it. That rarely happens. All right. So cool. So so what is your summer uh, like? At the, you know, what won't be the summer, be the fall for the cup. What will be that like? Will you be on site 
um, there. Uh, with I, the guy answer the uh, the Casey Keller question. He did not play at Middlesbrough. He played at Millwall, which oh, Millwall, Millwall Leicester, Tottenham, Southampton, Fulham, and England. Let me uh, let me tell you a quick Casey Keller story. Millwall, yeah. they invade the the pitch and start fighting and everything while mm-hmm. he's in the net, and the guy runs by and jacks somebody, and then turns and goes, "Hey, Case, how's it going?" and walks and runs away. <laughs> just just keeps going, doesn't break stride. Yeah, funny. yeah. Casey's like, "Hey, hey, how you doing, man?" Yeah. Uh, so summer is. I mean, there's a few things going on that you know we're working on. Like the the women have World Cup qualifying here in a couple of weeks, so I'll be down mm-hmm. in Monterey uh, working on that with CBS. Uh, there's you know I and my team have a set of notes that we're just working on for for that for the. South American Women's Championship for MLS for NWSL that we're you know we're doing all summer. From a World Cup standpoint, right now it's just prep time. It's all right. Let's get yeah. these databases and sheets together. You know, just some like last week I was working on just updating stuff from previous tournaments. Okay, based on your first result, how often do you get through the group stage? And so you know, it's eighty. Let me find it real quick. 84 percent of teams that win their first game advance. Fifty nine percent of teams that draw advance. And only eleven percent that lose advance. Uh, so I mean, it's it's three. It makes sense because wow. it's three games, and if you get no points from one game, you've got to get a win and a draw pretty much to get uh, out of the group. So it's just it speaks to the importance of that first game for the U.S. against Wales. Uh, right. You don't have to win, but you really don't want to lose. Right. And those early those early games, those early the early round can be a little boring sometimes because people yeah. are playing not to lose. Right. Um, and I think that the Welsh coach actually said something about, well, that's an easy game for us or something stupid that is going to motivate the American players, right. I think. Um, you know, uh, but so I'm looking forward to it as always, man. It's it's just going to be weird uh, having a little Thanksgiving dinner when we're right. watching soccer. Right. Uh, England, soccer. U.S. on Black Friday, the day afterwards. Yeah. The Wales game, I think, is on Monday before Thanksgiving. So, yeah, just, our producer Ken Park won't be shopping that day like he usually does. He usually waits outside a mall for four hours. Uh, well, he could the... do that now and just stream the game on his phone. He's got things to keep him entertained. Exactly. So, all right. So, is there anything you want to uh, cover before we we get going here? I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the on the yeah. World Cup, the stadiums, and and everything that was happening. No, um, I mean, and we're we going to win the numbers game. Population. Yeah, we had talked off air. You know, like DC was the only thing resembling a surprise i mean they were one of those four cities for the last three spots or so um and i mean it's a surprise because it's washington dc you know it's has right. a huge soccer history in the u.s obviously hosted games in 94 dc united's great uh, rfk is the closest thing maybe to a spiritual home that u.s soccer has even though they don't play there anymore obviously um, i've played on that field it's like a cow field though they'd probably do some work to it i'm sure yeah. um, and obviously then we're going to play games there but i mean when you really think about it once it was a combined DC Baltimore bid, the only thing it really had going for it, the biggest thing it had going for it was that it was Washington DC. Right. Uh, you know, if it were another city, you know, they're not going to pl- choose that city when the stadium is fine, but it's over here and other stuff's going on across, you know, an hour plus away, uh, things like that. So it was a little surpri- it was surprising not to see the name DC. I don't think it was surprising to see uh, all the underlying components of the bid, especially you had Daniel Snyder involved and, Oh, right. We all right. know you're talking political Daniel and Snyder is and yeah, whatever. Yeah. 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 yeah no, 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 we don't want to go that far. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but ultimately, you know, it's the first capital city of a country not to host a World Cup um, since Tokyo in 2002. And even that has a little asterisk because there were a couple cities within like an hour of Tokyo that hosted. Uh, but the Tokyo Dome, I believe it was called, just wasn't suitable for soccer. Uh, and so it's a rarity not to have a capital just because the capital is of such importance to the city and generally important to FIFA, but not so much here. 
the Tokyo Dome sounds like a haircut. So the, <laughs> the um, so the, but I think also I always watch Kraft. Robert Kraft always survives. The, like, oh, he just he, plays if, that if, game. Somehow Boston gets a game. Fox if Pro. he were not the owner of all that and friends with Infantino, there's no chance Boston gets a game because it sounds how like was a he city. friends with Infantino. How, how did that happen? I think it's just soccer going all the way back. You know, just he's been at the top of U.S. soccer for what that's worth, and you know. Rich people look, gravitate toward each other or something. Look, I'm a Sox fan, a Celtics fan. I you know, went to school in Massachusetts, loved Boston. It is the absolute perfect city for a stadium. Downtown, Somerset, Cambridge, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anywhere, Braintree even, for, a little further out. Yeah. And yet we don't have one still with all that money. Yeah. And I went to Patriot Place for some other things and uh, to do stand-up, actually. It was like, you know, there's a mall there and a restaurant and hotels. It's like... Uh, there's no he's not going to make a stadium i know they say they are but i don't think they're i mean just from his perspective i get it i mean he owns everything there he he has he doesn't really have any motivation or real financial reason to build another stadium Uh, obviously he'd have to pour his own money in and he just wants reasons for people to come to patriot place and come to the hotels and the shops and the restaurants and i mean i understand you know, you'd like to think there's some charity, good of the game, something, something there. But, uh, you know, at this point, it's just about money. He's, you know, he's not 40. So it's not like he's got another 40 years uh, to see an investment grow or, or pay off right. or something like that. So I, I get I, it. I, I don't yeah. like it. And I agree with you. It'd be, I was just in Boston last week, you know, walking around. It'd be great to have a soccer stadium around the corner. Uh, that's not yeah, there. Because it's, it's a walkable city. It's a small mm-hmm. city. It's just that... Um, you know, and it's uncomfortable because I see the guy out here once in a while, <laughs> you know, on the Nantucket in the summertime. Um, but it, it's just a perfect. I love, you know, they got a re- they have arena, Bruce Arena, but then you go to and watch it on turf, and it's big and open and concrete, and it's just everything you know yeah. against where the game is going. And you know, you said he's a soccer convert, and I always find that the especially the NFL converts are sort of like, yeah, you stay over there. That's a cute little sport. You you stay over there. Yet yeah. we've continued to grow, and um, that's a great market. That I think it's it's just too bad. It's a, it's yep. too bad. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit like Kansas City used to be. You know, when the Wizards were playing at Arrowhead. You know, I live about an hour from there, and nobody from Topeka would go to games when the Wizards were at Arrowhead. And now some of those right. same friends of mine have season tickets to Sporting KC. Uh, just because you put, if you put 10, 15,000 in Arrowhead, just like you do at Gillette, it feels very empty. Like it's very sterile. The, just the noise doesn't work. Uh, like I said, the turf's not great. But right. here in Kansas City, they built a new stadium, they rebranded, they made the team much more accessible, involved in the community, all these things. Winning helps as well, because they were yeah, yeah. You know, pretty good at that time, the one MLS Cup in 2013. Uh, so that helps, but just turn into a real game day atmosphere to get people motivated to go there. You mentioned the youth clubs, you know, they're sporting youth clubs from, I don't know, like Omaha to Springfield or something like that, all over right. the place. That's part of it too. You get kids hooked at a young age. So, I mean, there's a template out there if New England wanted to do something like that, but I just doesn't seem like the interest. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like it's an untapped market some, sometimes because mm-hmm. you like, I'll be interested to see with Fox with the World Cup too. I think a lot of people who watch soccer are not traditional sports fans. They don't watch other sports. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's that, that sort of, whether it's a bohemian or counterculture or whatever it is, it's sort of like almost a skateboard feel and you have the real soccer people and you have, it's just. Casual um, sports fans jump onto the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, always. And what I will miss is being in New York City during the summer with all these, it's, you know, these Italian restaurants and Brazilian, oh, yeah. everything's spilling out into the streets. It's an absolute right. blast. So 
uh, we'll have fun. We'll have fun anyway. So, Paul, man, it was good to get caught up with you. I'm glad I got your thoughts on this World Cup and and the stadiums and um, and LAFC. Well, they're they're boy, the rich get rich. Looking good. Yeah. yeah, they really are. They're in first place, and yet they and got a NYCFC kind of seem. I don't know about head and shoulders above everybody, but at least head above everybody right now. Uh, assuming NYCFC keeps, you know, all their key pieces as we head down keeps the street. Winning. It's near. Well, let's talk about a stadium. Boy, Yankee Stadium. And they got a, they have another problem too. So, man, it's endless, brother. So, yeah. uh, all right. Good luck. Well, congratulations on the Fox gig. Well-deserved. Uh, Paul Carr from True Media, uh, a regular guest here on OTB. Uh, check out his profile in Soccer America if you get a chance. It's uh, it's very interesting Follow the numbers, follow the money, follow Paul Carr. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to you again, brother, on OTB. See you, man. All right, thanks, Kevin. Always good to catch up. Uh, that was great. As I said, I always love talking to Paul Carr. Uh, I wish Chris was here to to talk to him, but as I said, we uh, he's on the road. So uh, so it was great to get up with Paul, uh, talk to Paul, and get caught up on um, you know give us some insight on what was happening with the stadium. So. like to thank Paul Carr for joining us from True Media, from CBS, from Fox. He's uh, a man is is doing things. Um, next week we'll be back with Chris Shamit. He's my co-host for Chris for the full Octane Media team. I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on Over the Ball.